This American Monster. A Monster of the Week actual play from This American Dice. You know, they open up and it's these like blowing, you know, sands going across, sandstorm. That song, you know, is playing. Uh, but no, they're just like sand going across like uh, some ancient Egyptian kind of thing. And uh, maybe um, you see Ashen, he still has like his, maybe like the whole half of his head is based, or the whole half of his face at least is bandaged up from this like eye wound he just suffered. Um, he's being led by Mirzad into this. Um, maybe there's like a, I don't know if there'd be guards or something too from the lore court too, but maybe just those two. Who knows? You, you can fill in those blanks. But uh, they're trekking through well, this. Well, that's, I mean, I'm I'm ideally hoping for you to, you to tell me what's going on rather than for me to do that. And to my understanding, this is not a lore corporation thing. This is a Knights of Ptolemy. Okay, cool. Yeah, so you know, maybe. like this is this is Ashton and Mirzad like taking some leave. Gotcha. Okay. Um, so yeah, then definitely them by themselves, kind of doing the the stereotypical cinematic like oh, walking across this these strong sandy winds into this uh finally the you know safety and quiet of some like maybe I'm thinking like an underground like tomb like thing going on, but there's ancient Egyptian trappings everywhere and Mirzad maybe um, it's like well this uh, this is where your healing starts and also where your learning begins and this maybe this is when he's like uh, my stupid backstory that I'm injecting into this is we the, the Knights of Ptolemy were the protectors of this library of Alexandria and these this We've kept these last surviving manuscripts from there, hidden away, and this is not only your time to heal your wound, but also to heal your ignorance of the things that have been, the curtain that's been drawn over this mortal world. And maybe there's just the montage of the fun, like (laughs) in every movie, like the learning montage of there's a candle and he's reading these books. And then the candles, way down at the bottom of the wick <laughs> just like the stack gets bigger and bigger on one side and that's taking place over like months or weeks or something as montage number one he has ancient learning now okay so he's gone through lots of old scrolls and documents yeah and then maybe a uh, part two is second montage number two is See, where's another weird place to be? Um, what if we see you at like pyramids in Egypt, or like we see you guys in Egypt and we see pyramids kind of in the background, and then the next thing is we see you guys in Central America and there are pyramids there, but they're like Mesoamerican ziggurat things. Yeah. yeah, this uh, vine choked like ziggurat, like you said, in Central America somewhere, and um, Rizad is like, oh, you've you have this uh sword that we gave you Uh. yes it is it is indeed special we said that one of the big things with it was that it was like had been used to uh you had to pick the thing that like saw the most hate and Mm -hmm. it was it was an item that had stood against that rather than was the inflictor of that yeah so maybe yeah right that i remember this now so yeah rizad is like that that sword is a very important to history and it, it'll help you uh, defeat you know, monsters but you have to or the evils of the world but you'll have to you know learn how to use it first and then Ashton's like yeah that's true I don't really know how to use this very well and then you just hear like something from some noise behind him and he looks over and just that wherever like there's a door or like wall that slides in and Mursad's like gone and all these vines that have been uh you know, creeping up had been, you know, growing up the wall, just like start moving and coming to life, and they form themselves in like these humanoid creatures. And he's got to fight them all. And when he cuts the vines, they kind of like grow back. So he's 
fighting these things over and over again over like days maybe okay so there's all these uh so these vines not only just lash out at ashton they kind of form into humanoid simulacra right right come after him the vine men and then he uh yeah cuts him up and maybe you know fades out and comes back and it's like days later and He's fighting them again. They've reformed over and over again. Okay. And the purpose is Mirzad brought you here just specifically as a training exercise. Yeah. I think the idea I'm trying to hint at is, oh, these, there's no way to kill these vines. They just keep growing. Gotcha. So okay. These are like test dummies, but, you know, they actually will try to attack you. All right. And so we see Ashton like starting... When he starts off, he's. Oh, and maybe when he gets there, you can see his his uh, bandages are, you know, on his eye are better. Like there's less of them now. So, so we get that it's been a few weeks since Egypt. Okay, and how do we see that he's getting better over time in um, in doing? Th- in regard to his like fighting or his martial skill. Yeah. So maybe the first time, um, a few, maybe like three of them form around him and he, uh, he barely fights them off. Um, and then he's just, you know, Oh, maybe they all like kind of kills one and then the other two like overpower him and he just barely like they push him over and he's on his back and just like flails wildly and kills them. And then, um, just like panting, and then we see like the uh, the vines on the wall kind of grow to replace the ones that had turned into people. So then we fade, and then some time has passed, and now more of them are growing into humans, and they kind of break off the wall, and he fights them again. This time he doesn't fall down, but maybe there's more of them. And the third time we see them, he's waiting patiently in the middle of the room at this point with this like the sword neck on the ground next to him. And then the vines have now grown enough that they form into figures and come after him again. And this time he just cuts them down like very easily. Okay. So we see him all, he's now, he's now fucking Zoroing these, uh, vine, vine monsters. Right. Okay. And they still attack with the same, like, uh, relentless vigor. Yeah. Um, but he just kind of easily and quickly dispatches them. Okay. And maybe Merzad says something like, your skill with that blade has improved substantially. I think it's time that we... I think it's time that we put some of your skills to the test and really dealt with the real issue. We're going to see Welker handing over the urn to Anna Cross. So that urn that you guys got collected. And other people can hop in on this with some suggestions and that kind of stuff. But The, the urn? Oh, no, the urn that they, it was placed in. Got yes. It. So the urn in which uh, Dag or Colfiel, the, the demon, was trapped. The lead urn that is uh, probably like also... You guys probably also packed it in salt and stuff like that. Yeah, that Matlock. Yeah, that Matlock uh, sacrificed himself to um, seal this demon in. Matlock, the cylindrical container. Yeah, that's pretty much what he's become now. All I am right now is a thermos. Yeah. Um, Matlock, thermos weaver. But so you're handing this over to her. Um. Where does that happen? Where does that go down? Or is it so, just like it's at the office? Like I think that is also completely acceptable. Oh, well, then I guess that answers my question. My question was going to be why Anna Cross? Is it because I know that she's compromised? Or is this just like, oh, company protocol, give it to Anna Cross? I think she is the person who would uh, take this stuff from you, especially because theoretically Bishop is 
doing stuff, she's also been like trying to more closely monitor this. Cool. And so she's asking you a bunch of questions about this stuff. Um, so yeah, if you just meet up with her in the office, she'll yeah. ask you, you know, you guys are just in a meeting room. It's actually pretty boring. And you kind of have this, we see this thing on the table for her to take. And she'll just say, what was this thing? That's, um, it's on need to know basis, but it's, uh, Oh, Oh, before actually, let me just give you the other two questions. I'm going to ask you through this. The other two questions are what makes you nervous about giving this to her? What makes you second guess giving this to her? And then finally, what makes you finally hand it over? So, so those are the two questions that I've the got. The place I but, see Welker at now is like, okay, he's estranged from his family. He has reason to believe the company's lying to him about lots of very important things. And he has just become estranged from Darkblade. And he knows he now probably has a secret from Sundry that when it comes out will be very bad. So I feel like he hasn't got a lot going on like as far as allies goes right now. Um, and on top of that, Anna Cross is specifically like potentially anti-Lore Corp. So... I think maybe even that might contribute to him giving it, being like, well, you know what? Screw it. Like, if, uh, let's just see what happens. Maybe she will turn on the company with this, but maybe at this point that's not so bad. Okay. So maybe she'll, when you say, like, it's on a need-to-know basis? Uh, so he'll say, um, that's on a need-to-know basis, but then he'll say, uh, but, um, it's, it's the most dangerous that we've dealt with so far. And, uh, understand that what's in that container it's um it's a matter of life and death for for potentially everyone and she'll she looks relieved she like looks down at it and is like okay dr mclean's notes were kind of all over the place she kind of you see her kind of she relaxes a little bit and um She'll say, "On this case, I'll say, oh, I'll have to review those." Doctor McLean was um, was compromised at some point. We're not sure when, so his reports may be uh, may have to be thrown out. Is he still compromised? And like maybe there's like a flashback in his head, it's like what's the last thing he saw Doctor McLean doing? Yeah, so you you just remember Doctor McLean turning to you and just kicking you, and you remember him struggling and struggling and biting off one of his fingers and writing Welker and blood on that thing and him just having like crazy eyes. And then you, um, you guys bringing Matlock in to, uh, into the, I almost said into the office. Like I brought my cat into the office. Um, but yeah, you guys brought, brought Matlock in and you remember him vomiting up all these beetles so, he's alive. so that's the flashback that goes in your head. He is he is alive and theoretically exercised. As much as Addy Zems or Virgil Sutherland or Jules Graber. Uh, so what can we say? Um, no, he's um, he's still he he's not, but he's still recovering, and I'll have to debrief him at some point. Excellent. If you could send me that, I would really appreciate it. What I did gather from his reports, he claimed that this was a demon. I don't know if he was being literal, if that was some sort of scientific analogy that he was making, but honestly, it seemed like he believed what he was saying. Again, uh, Dr. McLean overstepped his abilities on this one. Um, but uh, he's lucky to have survived the encounter. But... What could she say that would make you think, like, if that guy overstepped his abilities, then this was really, really serious? That just, like, she and, by extension, the Lore Corporation have had so much faith in that guy's abilities that if if it was beyond him... Sure, something like, maybe, like, he's the best we have, like, you should know that better than anyone. And it came, like, he literally brought me back from the dead. Yeah. Okay, yeah, so she'll she'll say basically that. He's the best we have. He brought you... If the files that we have are correct, and everything I've seen suggests that they are, he brought you back from the dead. He's been dealing with things that no one else has been able to. 
If this was too much for him, then we're all in over our heads. So I'll like point to the thermos and say, then what exactly do you intend to do with that? Like you don't have to be around the bush. You know that. I know who you are and what you're, I know who you really work for. Where is that thermos going to go if if you leave this office with it? And she tenses up, and I think she looks at you, and without making needing to make any kind of rolls of like, can you conceal this or this or that kind of stuff? I think she tenses up for a moment and takes a deep breath and then tries to relax and just says, We've been under investigation for some time. I want you and I, I want us both to be safe. And I say, and that safety will come from your employers? I don't know how much longer I'll have a job with the Lure Corporation. Are they, are you in danger of being found out? I think the more distance that you can put between yourself and some of the people involved in the... <sighs> Look at Bishop. That's not a man who has anything close to a clean record. You've at least seen the documents I've shown you. I intend to see a good deal more documents about Bishop before this is over. In fact, you might you might to start. Do you know anything about... Do you know anything that I'm not... You're, they're not telling me? about the night I died. Chase, the records I saw about that night were just another frightening element in this. I think if you could put some distance between yourself and them, it would be better. If you could maybe even get rid of those records, it would be a good idea. I have to find them first. I'm, and that's when she, um, I think, gives you a duplicate copy of her um, like security clearance card. Nice. And writes out for you like, uh, like her like, password or code or whatever the fuck. Mm -hmm. That should give you access to my security clearance level. It's not much higher than yours, but it's higher enough to make a difference. Walker will nod and take the take the card. And he'll say, uh, "Why are you doing this for me?" I started working for this company because I believed the work they did could change the world and change it for the better. And it's done things that have had a positive impact, but the amount of stuff going on behind the scenes, it's frightening. What was it? This has always been dirty work. I mean, we both knew that, right? Like as much like for himself as for her being like, haven't we done more good in like in the balance of things? I guess I should have known it would be as dirty as it was. I deluded myself thinking it wasn't. The paycheck helped. The position, the prestige, the security clearance, the access I had to all these people, these scientists that top universities fight for, meetings with politicians to lobby for changes to the very laws of this country. Hell, not just this country. Yeah, for a lot of people, this is their dream job. I haven't experienced any of those things. All I've been doing is killing monsters or capturing taking monsters off the streets seems like a pretty important job she'll grab your hand and say yeah and they even brought you back but what I'm scared of is what they're going to use these monsters for what I'm scared about is when something bigger than them comes knocking at the door enough of that has already come knocking on mine and I want to make sure that doesn't happen to you I gave you that information for a reason, Chase. I want to make sure neither of us ends up in jail. Walker would nod and say, um, alright. Uh, I'll keep an eye out if you do. Just, uh, you let me know if you're thinking of, uh, burning your bridges here. I want you to make it out of this okay. And I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that's the case. That neither of us ends up... Walker would nod. Um, did she ever sort of intimate in this conversation what she was going to do with that thermos? No. I think she maybe even, like, leans in to kiss you. Oh, yeah, I'll return it. And, uh... <laughs> Lee's dance. Um, and then she'll say... You don't look good, Chase. He'll shrug and say, well, I've been dead for a year. Or however long it's been. And I think she'll realize what she said. And you 
in your head. And I, I think you can come to the realization that she she hadn't meant she hadn't thought of that aspect. Oh. And she, she thought mean, of like, it just as like a like, oh, you're so you're so in stressed or you're so blah blah blah. And then she realizes like that's true. And I think she kind of pulls away. And is like And she just she would just say to you, I'm going to make sure neither of us spends a day in jail. Um, he'll nod and say, uh, just as long as you remember that what you're holding there is more important than any of that. If what you told me is true, I don't think people like them should have it. I shoot her. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. That'd be interesting. Yeah, I'm totally All right. Wrong. So, yeah, I mean, in the end, what makes you hand it over is that she gives you all that information. I, I, I'm not. I don't know. Like, I, I hadn't really considered like this would be the flashpoint. Like, it's as good a time as any. Um, I do see Walker eventually going against the company. I feel like this is a pretty definitive like, fuck you to the company to give like a prized asset, basically away. Mm-hmm. Plus, they're going to come asking for it. That part I'm not too worried about. Um, I mean, from within the company protocol, you are giving it to your theoretically... Right, but I mean, I know she's... Yeah. There's a good chance she's not going to do what she's supposed to with it. Oh, for sure. You as a, you as a player know that, and I'll, probably Welker knows it too. Well, but I'm, I'm what talking make, from Welker's perspective. Yeah, but what makes, what makes him hand it over? I've got an idea. I feel like the most compelling thing that would make him hand it over is if he knew in real time that they were yeah they were lying about what happened to him and that he really did like murder some woman and like didn't tell him but i don't know that yet um you, you said you had an idea oh yeah um well two ideas one is if you want to go with that she can just tell you like um they deleted some of the files you might want to get rid of the rest I like that. But kind of telling you, like, like there's still some incriminating evidence. Get rid of it. Uh, my other my other option would be that she kind of pulls the other card of, like... And if you don't hand this over to me, I can tell the company that you're holding out on them, and then they'll come after you. Kind of a thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see how those working out. Um, the second one sounded less like a threat and more of, like, a you're covered, like, you have to do it regardless um okay so i think like she's intimated essentially that yeah there's stuff i don't know like here's the way to get it let's go with that mm -hmm. okay so she'll go to get up and she picks up this um she picks up this cylinder and it's like i said it's a sealed lead cylinder and i think uh Maybe for good measure, you guys have packed it in like a bo a crate of salt, yeah, or something. So it just looks like a, a crate. The end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, it's. I, I imagine it's much smaller than that. It's yeah. essentially like the size of a shoebox, but it's pretty heavy. So like she picks this thing up, and um, she like you kind of look at it hesitantly, and she'll just tell you, she'll point down at like her the numbers she wrote out, the passwords she wrote out, and say... They deleted a lot of information to hide what happened. You might want to delete the rest for the same reason. That's not... And she walks out the door. All right, so Darkblade, the last time we saw you, uh, we saw Matlock forced to uh, give up his own life to seal up the demon Kulfiel, uh, the beetle demon. Um, I'm going to ask you that question that I brought up, but also, you know, immediately after that, what, what, did, uh, what did Darkblade do? 
immediately after that, and how has his relationship with Welker changed? And obviously, Carl, you can hop in on this if need be. Well. Yeah. Um, yeah, Darkblade is pissed off. Um, he, you know, he's just lost his father figure um, and mentor. And he was this innocent creature that was majestic and rare and precious and something that was more precious than um, life itself for dark blade. And so seeing this guy, uh, seeing this creep Matlock forced into, uh, sacrificing himself really, uh, for without any real question or consultation has, left Darkblade deeply resentful towards Mr. Welker. And he um hmm so how far in the future are we from that event? I imagine not super far. Yeah, so he's been openly okay. hostile. By openly hostile, Walker. is it like refusing to take his calls? Is case. it um yeah, tell me how that actually tell me how that night worked because you guys were there when uh, the demon was sealed up. Did Darkblade storm out of there? Did he swear and yell at Welker? Did he have to be like pulled apart from him? Was it was like I'll kill you, and they had to throw him out of the office? No, he stormed out. Um, he yeah, he stormed out. He was too upset by what he saw to express anger towards Welker and um, he was too hurt by it and too wounded by it to do anything about it or feel uh, yeah, to tell Welker how he felt. So he was very upset. He left. He went home and he um, yeah, I don't think he's known like how to confront Welker. But if there's a, if there's, he certainly hasn't been taking his calls and, um, he, yeah, I don't think he knows how I, he certainly hasn't approached him to like scream at him on his front door or anything like that. Okay. So, uh, does he still consider himself an employee of the lore corporation? Um, hmm. I don't know that he ever really strongly considered himself a part of the lore corporation because he has Welker has sought his help and he's helped the group out, but he's never really been given like any sort of responsibility or any kind of real access to anything because of his outspoken nature. Um, so, and also the, um, scrut not scrutiny, the, um, he just, he just, um, I think Welker saw that Darkblade had potential. Um, and so Darkblade's influence and access to Warcorp is kind of directly through Welker. And so okay. he hasn't, um, yeah, he's not taking uh, any any calls from Warcorp or or anything like that. Hmm. Okay. Is he All right. doing anything else in the meantime? Instead, yeah. Um, or just like recovering. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. It, oh, short that, time that's, after. That's I mean, true. Actually, he's. Uh, to, to bring that up, he was very hurt. Yeah, he was. Um, so. like you lost like a ton of blood. You were very injured. Um, yeah. What is his? What's been his recovery situation? He was hospitalized, and um, he 
Um, yeah, let's say he's since this happened, he has checked himself into the hospital, and um, he, he, I mean, straight from the Lorcorp campus, he goes to the hospital, um, and he hasn't left. His mom, his family have visited him, um, but he's been, for the most part, pretty, pretty, pretty far off the radar and just recovering. He may have even been like under a lot of medication and not really too conscious for a week or so. Okay. Hmm. All right. So what's our scene that we see that like he's he's kind of he's back, he's okay, but he's different. He's yeah, so it goes it pans into the the hotel room and the hospital room. And okay, I was like, wait, he's staying in a hotel. <laughs> yeah. No, he's He's, he's living in an extended stay place. He and his, uh, he's uh, hanging out with a bunch of divorced dads. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, Dark Blade is seen just totally like covered in scars, shirtless. He's, but he's freaking ripped and lean. And he's just doing push ups and just sweat is dribbling off of his chin. Then he's doing pull ups on the pull up bar. And, um, um at the hospital yeah in the hospital room yeah okay. and like some really busty nurse walks by and is like oh herbert i brought you your applesauce i know you i know you always like having an extra applesauce herbie i got this one i snuck it for you and then um and then herbert's like putting shoveling the applesauce in his mouth and it's like dribbling down his chin <laughs> And then he wakes up and he has like spittle on his chin and he's, and it's, it's a very busty male nurse who's <laughs> like, who's like holding you and wiping it. And is like his man breast is against uh dark blades face. And he's like, Oh, Herbie, I know it. I know you love your applesauce. Yeah. And he's like the, the hand uh, strengthener that he was, he had like a hand strengthener. He was like squeezing on just like, like falls out of his hand. And um, while he was asleep, he was squeezing one of those. Yeah, that was okay. Yeah, he's he's regaining his strength. Um, but that that was his dream was being <laughs> huge. And um, he's like, oh, oh, Dave, thanks. I I love applesauce. Thanks, Dave. You always take good care of me, Dave. He's like, you the man. No, you're a man, Dave. You're the real hero. And he touches your nose. It's cute. Yeah. yeah. And then Dave's like, all right, I know you said he didn't want any visitors today, but you've got some visitors. It's, and yeah. And then um, you hear like, Herbie. Oh, and it's your mom. And who's behind her? It's Brian. All right, in regard to where we settled on how much Sundry knows about whether or not Welker was involved in Maria's death. Where, where it ended up was you saying, everything this demon said seemed to be true. You're saying that this wasn't true. I believe you don't think it's true but we both have to look into this and you owe me to look into this. Got it. So yeah, then, 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 uh, Sandra will definitely want to look into it. So I think that he's looking into a lot of police reports. He's maybe getting that, uh, private investigator whose name I do not remember. It's in the thing, but it was like Elroy or Leroy. Sounds right. Um, probably Leroy involved. And, uh, he just looks like the guy who is the, uh, the, that produce that weird producer on Tiger King, who just like looked, looked like, yeah. I mean, he looked like he smoked every cigarette in the world. Um, every cigarette you didn't smoke, he did. Um, 
but yeah, so uh, yeah, so I'm going to say he's looking into this stuff and we could get Winters involved in this if you want like a character, we could get Leroy or Elroy involved, I think that's less interesting but one of the big things that you find, ooh, I don't know what the hell that accent was one of the big things that you find, doing Matlock's voice too much, a lot of the investigation a lot of the police reports they seem really sloppy. They seem very haphazard. They seem like either the person who made them didn't know what they were doing or the person who made them didn't give a shit. They either didn't know what they were doing, they didn't give a shit, or something worse. Is that person's name on them? Uh, yes, I think that person's name is on them. Joel Aaron's. So Joel Aaron's, so Officer Joel Aaron's was the um, kind of or detective Joel Aaron's was the person who was involved in overseeing all of this stuff. And he was the chief investigator. And uh, I think you can get to him to find out what's going on. But here's the nuts thing. He now works for a subsidiary of the Lore Corporation. Uh-oh. So he works as like a security officer or whatever for like um, Fell Away Systems, which is a subsidiary of the Lore Corporation. If you if you interview him about that, he can tell you like like oh I wrote I wrote it all up as I saw it. And the more you ask him, the more he'll kind of tell you like oh well, I mean. It was a little bit confusing. He just seems super non-committal about a lot of the stuff. I have that agency move from Welker. Can I maybe use that to uh, impress upon this guy that I'm a, a bigger shark than he is? Absolutely, yeah. I don't think you need to even roll anything. We can just say like, since you have it, you know this guy works for a subsidiary of the Lore Corporation. You can kind of put pressure on him and he'll tell you you know, um, he's like, you know, I was a, I was a cop. I was supposed to investigate this stuff. I was fairly new, but not green. And I was investigating this and I got a better job offer. And I was encouraged basically to hurry that up and everything as quickly as I possibly could in as clean as clean a way as I possibly could to move along. And I think this guy's actually a little bit annoyed um, because he's like, oh... He's, he's annoyed that he's being interviewed by the guy he framed? Because I, I assume the report would point to Sundry in some way. Yes, it, it, it definitely did. I think he's annoyed because he was like, oh, I thought there was more to this, but I was encouraged to end this stuff early. And after I ended it early, it made it look like uh, when when you were acquitted, it made it look like it made it look like I did a shitty job. But the thing is, my job with Fellaway Solutions pays me better, and my my police work there got me this job. So it's one of those things where I'm pissed off, but I wasn't too pissed off about it. And um, I think really just just like haul off and punch this guy in the mouth. Oh, awesome. Yeah, so yeah, this guy is yeah, he's he's working as essentially like a private security consultant for this company and so you just n knock this guy on his ass and yeah. he hauls him um, like, listen here you son of a bitch. It's like you frame me for murder. Uh, my wife killer is still on the loose for all I know. And all you can say is you're aggravated about it like I sat in jail for uh, however long Sundry sat in jail for. Months. Yeah, I think I think and, I think uh, Sundry was in, in jail only for months. And uh, and I had plenty of time to think on you. So okay, I'm gonna try to you, do you, you something to say to me. Yeah, and this dude gets this huge like you busted this guy in the lip pretty bad, and um, I'm gonna try to do a fucked up lip here I don't have anything in this office that I want to stuff in my mouth <laughs> um, 
Okay, I just use one point. He's like, oh, come on. Yeah, come on. I, listen, I'm not happy about it. I, I, I was upset about it too. I wanted to keep going and they said it was, they said it was okay. It's fine for them. And I thought it was, I, and you thought it was fine for me. And he, he, he looks at you and he's kind of just like, he realizes like, yeah, shit, you're right. And he just kind of looks at you and says, like, my bad. <laughs> he goes, my bad, dude. What up? No, he says, I, I gave him something. It was only, it was only the start. You, you got acquitted. You ain't in jail now, right? You want maybe I should frame you for murder or just kill you right now? And this guy just is like terrified and, um, he just doesn't have anything to say about that. He's just so scared. He doesn't know how to respond. Hmm. I want to know who killed my wife. You yelly, belly, son of a bitch. I don't. I I don't know what happened. To, I don't know what happened to your wife. I went there. I, I seen what had gone on, and all I could. Somebody somebody killed her for sure. She's she was killed. I don't know who it was. I got a better job while her, and I just I took it. It was better money. I'm sorry for what happened to you. I am, but please. I'm sorry. Uh, does he seem like he's telling the truth? Yeah. Is he serious under you? Yes, yeah. This guy, um, yeah, this guy seems like he only he started the investigation and he was just encouraged to finish it quickly so he could get this job for the lore corporation and he basically just kind of like rushed through and handed all this stuff in can so try to get a sense of like who encouraged him that way like what does that mean Ooh, who who from the uh lore corporation encouraged him well yeah i either it was like someone outside of the police force or it was um, like a superior but e either way yeah so he was he was encouraged by his like new employers where basically he was going to go work for like a private security firm and they were like so hurry who, up who was he talking to there um I'll I so think someone asked maybe like wraps his hands around this guy's neck and he's like listen here you Judas it's like you tell me who you're speaking to at this fucking hell hall He's like bald guy with a rasp bald guy with a raspy voice. His name was Alexander Vaskiv. Hmm. Some he he, he the, it was a Russian name, but he he had like a he had a real raspy voice. He sounded like he had a, like smoked a bunch, but his voice was a little bit higher pitched. <sighs> kind of bald, white guy. Sundry putting two and two together. Yeah, and I think that's when Sundry realized, like, realizes this is exactly the person that Welker has described as Mr. Bishop. Well, I think they've met, too. They met at the night of... Um, oh, yeah, when you guys were handing over the... Yeah. Yeah, when you guys were handing over the... Uh, Roberta Hellinger, yeah. So you remember his voice, where it's like, it's raspy, but it's higher pitched than you thought it would be. Which is not how I do Michael Rooker's voice, but... All right. Well, what's this guy's name? He said Alexander Vaskiv. No, what, what's the guy's name I'm speaking of? The, it's Joel something. Fuck, I... Aaron's? Oh, yeah. Yes, Joel Aaron's. And now that he's like a private security guard, does he have some stupid like private security guard title? Like corporal or something? Uh, I mean, yeah, he's probably like at least officer if not like lieutenant or sergeant okay uh well mr aarons uh i reckon you still have a debt to pay we'll talk about that later yeah and this guy is yeah you just see him as you walk away or leave the scene this guy's just he's terrified of what's going on and realizing like oh fuck
Um, I'd imagine you guys are back in that library. So we had discussed the library not being a physical place with all these books and tomes and scrolls and stuff, but then you switched it back to it is a physical place. Oh yeah. <laughs> so you guys are theoretically in that in that place. The like the like the secret uh, catacombs that are what's left of the Library of Alexandria that have been smuggled into this place in Egypt. And um, everything's lit by like uh, candlelight or, oh yeah, I think that maybe there's a scene of like you, we see Ashton with a, uh, with a candle and he's like looking over a document and Mirzad is like, what are you doing? And he turns on the lights. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's just like, oh, there's regular lights in here. And these books are very fragile. Yeah, don't have flames around this, you idiot. Jesus Christ. Uh, but yeah, so this is where he's going to talk with you about these runes. So runes, not ruins, but runes. Um, so he'll show you all of these runes and he'll say, you know, for centuries, we've been trying to figure out what these runes that have been mentioned in all of these different works mean. You can see references to them in ancient Mesopotamian works. You can see references to them in, um, like, various, like, Chinese mythology. You can see references to them if you read it deep enough in some of the non... Uh, what is it called? Apocryphal? Apocryphal works of the Bible. Um, and so... Apocryphal? You got it. Okay. Oh, the other word I was thinking of was apostate, but that's not the same thing. Anyway, so that's what I have to go get checked out. <laughs> uh, anyway, it makes it so uncomfortable to sit down when I'm drinking. So the he'll say, we had been looking these over and he'll show you these, these runes. And it's basically like, these weird, these designs that generally have, uh, they usually have four or five kind of symbols to four or five points to them, and then they're connected. And so they end up looking like essentially like fucked up stars if you were to draw a star. And so it's like, okay, you can draw these stars and they look like this, but almost none of them look like a regular star like you'd see like on the American flag. And instead they're just these kind of like crazy things. And he said for ye for for centuries we had thought that these were references to events in time and that they were references to they were prophecies. The problem was we didn't know we didn't have a baseline for when they started. It turns out um, my mentor, ooh, give me one factor about his mentor. Cause I feel he, I feel he got involved in this organization in like the eighties or early nineties. Well, if he's like a disgraced general from some either America or some other, oh, maybe like an Eastern Bloc country could be interesting. Okay. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. Yeah. He's like, my mentor had been the one to figure out that they weren't points in time. And we see this kind of flashback of him being explained to, uh, having this explained to him by this like, um, older Ukrainian man. And, um, he's kind of going through and saying they weren't points in time. They were points in space. They were locations. They were coordinates. We hadn't figured this out for so long because, well, physically, they don't make sense anywhere on the map. And he can maybe bring like up a computer screen to show you, um, again, showing you that, yeah, there's some technological shit in here. Uh, like, like, basically, if these things have a distance from one another, it doesn't make sense. Either you can prove those things aren't there or where they're located doesn't make sense. And then he'll say, 
The problem was, what we had was incomplete. They were all relative to one another, so in order to figure out where any of them actually were, you had to already know where one of them was. And without knowing where the exact number, you couldn't know that at all. A lot of them had been in the ocean, they had been in the Arctic, they had been in places where we had already scavenged and found nothing. And he makes a reference to, like, the seventh seal, and the idea of the seven seals that, um essentially seal up death and seal up the power of death. He's he, he keeps vacillating between whether it's a map or a prophecy. He says almost it's a map, but a map of what it will be and how that could be utilized. And once these runes that connect these ley lines in these places are kind of complete and everything set, then oh, okay. it's a simpler Wait. matter to utilize it. I have a possibly good idea. So maybe he's explaining these, like the concept of ley lines to Ashton. And he's like, oh, okay. So like, like the kind of force that kind of drives you to go like in a certain direction or something. Like when you can see just like the little strings, like telling you where to go. And Rizal's like, what, what do you mean? See strings? And he's like, you know what? Like when you're going, when you're walking somewhere and you just like kind of that trick of your eye, when it's the strings are just telling you to go that way. And he's like, no one sees that. What are you talking about? And he's like, I see that constantly. That's what do you mean? And he's like, Oh, I can kind of see these ley lines. He's Ooh. like, I like, he's I like, like that. Like, the, like they're all here or something. I like that idea as something that he's um, actually uh, maybe had a conversation with Darkblade about. About oh, yeah. being able to kind of sense some of these lines or strings, as he calls them. Yeah, and maybe that kind of explains his his like luck, where he keeps running into the right places at the right time. Okay, and so say, well, if we can figure out, and yeah, Mirzad will tell you like, well, the dilemma we've had is we can't find. We know the distance that these strings have from one another. That these ley lines, we know how long they are, but the issue is we can't figure out where they would go any of the places where these seven points should be for this the seal of seven doesn't make sense. They're in the ocean, they're in the Arctic, they're in places we've checked. It doesn't add up. The problem is we know that this stuff is true and your ability to see these lines just further confirms that. Yeah, oh, maybe the, uh, the epiphany is he's like, well, yeah, since we've been traveling around here to these different places, they um, I've never seen as many as I have back home, which I just thought it was, you know, something about the, the light, light or something. But maybe, I mean, so where is Palmetto City then on the chart? And he's like, that's not on the chart. He'll, he'll say, like, it doesn't, Palmetto City doesn't make sense. Look, if we've got these seven locations, if we put one at Palmetto City and then we have the different... Um, coordinates based on what we know from this, and he'll and he'll sh he'll show you things from like uh, what is the what is the thing of Gilgamesh called? Like just the Epic of Gilgamesh. Yeah, and he says like if we if we look at even one of the th uh, even even some of the coordinates we can pull up pull up from a combination of the Dead Sea Scrolls and the Epic of Gilgamesh, you can see it doesn't make sense. It doesn't connect to any of the stuff. If we put one of these points in Palmetto City, it doesn't work. Oh, have you thought of that as the eighth one, though? He says the prophecies are all about seven seals, a seventh seal needing to be opened in order to change this. So that's what they tell the whole world. But wouldn't you, if it was the most important information, wouldn't you kind of just say that? Why would you want to lay it all on the table like that? And he starts to lecture you and we see like a memory of his about um, his mentor and this like old Eastern European guy basically saying like, like these are these are truths that have predated any of our societies, like the... Uh, the United States, the Soviet Union, uh, NATO, 
the Warsaw Pact. These are things that are ephemeral. They don't even matter. These are these truths that have been laid out in these texts that are important. These are what hold us together. And he like looks at him and he says like, you and I are some, you and I are some of the last real seekers of knowledge. And you and I are the people who, who can find these truths. And he's, and he like looks at that. And then he says, like we snap back to Mirzav and he just says to you, what if the truths aren't exactly what's written? Yeah, uh, I mean, oh man, I forgot what it's called again. Uh, sorry. But, oh, the Circle of Ader, uh, or is that how you pronounce it? Sure. Oh, yeah, the Circle I, of Ader. I was saying Ater, but, but you're good. You're right, yeah. Maybe he pronounces it wrong. He says, uh, well, the Circle of Ader, I mean, have done pretty well for themselves not announcing their presence. Don't you think maybe these original writers had the same idea about this true number of seals. All right, hold on. And he'll, he hops on the computer and he basically, he hops on the computer and he tells it to essentially use the same formula, but having an eight point polygon rather than a seven point polygon. Mm -hmm. And um, he looks at a few different options. And so we see on, like we would see if this was a TV show cycling on the screen, like different options that don't make sense. And they keep appearing like in red, like, oh, this is in the ocean. Oh, this is here. This is in this spot that doesn't make sense. This is in this place that doesn't make sense. And, um, and he's like, he looks at you and he tells the computer to put one in Palmetto City and it runs through uh it runs through that list of like maybe like two or three options and then it has one where everything is yellow mm -hmm. and thus like possible and he writes down these different spots and he says like pack your bags On a cross, her eyes tired and her hair more unkempt than usual, fumbles with the key to a motel room, her task made more difficult by the heavy bag she carries over her shoulder. When the door opens, she lets out a sigh. She seems to have been holding... On the other side of the door, she knows that the federal agents she hands this thing over to will give her immunity to prosecution and provide her protection from her soon-to-be former employer. To her surprise, the lead agent is alone, sitting in the ill-lit room, his face obscured even more than usual because of the lighting. As she takes out the salt-packed lead capsule from her bag, the agent applauds. She can't decide if it's mocking or an attempt to calm her nerves. Before I hand this over, I need a guarantee that I'm not facing any criminal charges, that I've got immunity from anything related to the Lore Corporation or their weird fucking dealings. Her eyes betraying her lack of sleep. Honey, you won't spend even a minute behind bars, the agent says in a deep, familiar voice. You don't have anything to worry about from old Johnny Law. The agent stands. His clothes are black western wear, and his face is slightly shadowed by a black Stetson. Give it here, Mr. Heck. The man Anna Cross has known only as a federal agent says, hand that over and you got yourself guaranteed immunity from any federal, state, or well, we'd even call civil action. On a cross, tense with anxiety, slowly hands over the canister to the person she believes will shield her from prosecution and protect her. The room lights up as the headlights of a car pulling into the parking lot illuminate the face of a smiling Mr. Heck. Slowly, Mr. Heck takes it from her, and her body relaxes. The lights outside still shining, the sound of car doors opening draw Anna's attention away from the man in the Stetson. In her ear, she hears the whisper, I told you, you won't spend even a minute behind bars. Anna Cross whips around only to find that her protector, her federal agent, is nowhere to be found, and neither is the canister. The door is kicked open, and standing in the doorway, Mr. Bishop enters with a gun drawn.
This American Monster is a production of This American Dice. This American Monster uses the Monster of the Week system, a game published by Evil Hat Productions and by Michael Sands. Sundry Charms is Lee. Chase Welker is Carl. Darkblade69 is Alex. Ashton Green is David. And your Game Master is Austin Smith. Our theme song is by Patrick Ross. It's called Sinlude. Additional voice talent for this episode included Kate Hoffman as Anna Cross. This episode included additional music, such as Gamela by Ease Jammy Jams, Street Life Silent Film by Lobo Loco, Glacier Bells by Daniel Birch, both Curiosity and Dangerous Location by Ron Ernest, and Shadowman by Lobo Loco. Join us next week on This American Dice for another exciting episode of This American Monster. And until then, be sure to like us on social media, subscribe, rate, review, and write the name of the show on little cards and staple them to clothes in a store so people will find them when they try them on.